The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. If you do not have a great sense of your need for a high priest to stand before Almighty God and intercede for you, then you have been dumbed down by the casualness of this world. You have been seared in your conscience with all of the entertainment of the world and you have been deceived and are not walking in the fullness of Jesus Christ now let me explain Jesus is a real person in time and space and history he appeared on this earth and he became the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning he has an indestructible life, and he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He is not a rabbit's foot that you rub for good luck. He is not a sentimental, invisible friend. He is real. And everything in our culture has been geared radio, television, internet, cell phones, cultural structures, churches have all been oriented by demonic powers to sear your conscience so that you will not awaken to the great need you have for a high priest. This will result in many never awakening, never coming to their senses, never spending the necessary time, never spending the necessary energy, being completely deceived that that you are saved and on the way to heaven, and it's all simply a cultural mirage. There must be in our spirit a deep sense of our need for a high priest. Someone who will stand before Almighty God and plead our case. And who by his his glory and his goodness extend to us his precious promises so that through them we can participate in the divine nature, not participate in the divine doctrines, not participate in the divine culture, or whatever you choose to construct as somehow being holy. 
No, this is actual participation in the divine nature of God, and so by escaping the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires that rise up in our hearts. If if these issues are not front and center in your heart, you are in serious trouble with God. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I have been pleading before the Lord to ignite in your heart a fire that says, I must know Jesus. I must have his promises. I must enter into that divine nature. I must be transformed. I must be changed. I cannot be content with some cultural, formal religion. I cannot be content with the rituals of the church. I cannot be content to go through all of the hoops and loops that churches establish to be a member in good standing in that body. No, I must have Jesus. And I must enter into that divine nature and be transformed into a new person. I must have a high priest. Without that precious high priest, without his shed blood, without his precious promises, I have no avenue by which I can enter into the divine nature. I cannot be transformed. I cannot be changed. All I can do is struggle in my flesh to somehow improve myself. The Christian gospel is not a self-improvement process. It is an incredible, spectacular, wonderful opening of the heart of God to transform me into the likeness of Jesus. Let me read this wonderful passage of Scripture for you out of Peter, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 3. His divine power, his divine dunamis, dynamite, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The word knowledge means practical understanding of how something works. It says, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. You do not gain that knowledge by a casual pursuit of reading the scriptures for two minutes in the morning or some watered-down, pre-digested devotional. That's not how you gain the knowledge of God. 
You gain the knowledge of God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit by searching the scriptures, by spending hours of your time reading the word and pleading with the Holy Spirit to unveil the secrets necessary, the knowledge necessary that has been provided for you in the word of God and in the preaching of honest pastors who are teaching the raw, unfiltered word of God. And then it says, who called us by his own glory and goodness. He did not call us because we were worthwhile. He did not call us because we're Americans. He did not call us because we are handsome or ugly. He called us because of his own glory and his own goodness. Salvation was the thought of God. He saw our need, and he provided for us an avenue of escape. If you treat that avenue of escape as something cheap and tawdry, if you treat that as something that you can fill your ego with at an even greater level, so that you can be full now of yourself and doctrine. You can be full now of yourself and your own self-assurance, your own approval of yourself and of your life. If you use your goodness as the measure by which you will examine your life, you will be utterly deceived. It is by the glory of Jesus it is the glory of God. It is the goodness of God. It says in verse 4, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. Through what? Through the glory of God, through the goodness of God, he has given us incredibly beautiful, wonderful, precious promises so that through them, you can participate in the divine nature. There is only one door open for you by which you can participate in the divine nature, and that is through the promises of God. How do you find those promises? By searching the scriptures, by listening to the word that is preached as an honest presentation of the truth. You find those wonderful and precious promises given by the glory and goodness of God himself. And these precious promises allow us to participate in the divine nature and they allow us to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You can never enter into the divine nature by trying hard to put down your evil desires. Those have to be handed over to Jesus Christ. There must be an, an honest stand taken on the promises of Scripture for what Jesus Christ will do for you. Mark eleven twenty two through 24. 
command this mountain to be removed. And if you believe in your heart, it will be done for you. Command that mountain of sin to be removed from your heart and be specific. The sin of anger, the sin of lying, the sin of cheating, whatever the sin is that you're struggling with, command that that sin be removed from your life by the blood of Jesus and believe Jesus that he will utterly eradicate that sin from your heart and from your life, that he will remove it from you, that he will break its power, and Jesus will deliver you based on your stand on the promises of God. Last night in our prayer meeting at the National Prayer Chapel, during our time of sharing, one of our brothers, David Sampson, made a most profound statement testifying about his own life and his process of walking with Jesus. He said, My emotions must be tethered to the promises of God. My emotions must be tethered to the promises of God. He said, if my emotions are not tethered to the promises of God, I will not have faith. And I will grow angry because it seems that nothing is happening. And when I become angry and begin to accuse God, he withdraws. And I lose my place with him. He's absolutely right. As we consider the promises of God, the precious promises of God, given through the glory and goodness of Jesus Christ, we must have our emotions firmly tethered to those promises so that our emotions do not lead us away into despair or into unbelief or into anger. We must stand though the heavens fall on the promises of God and believe that he will do what he promised he would do for us. And the greatest promise Jesus has made to us is that we have the privilege of participating in the divine nature of God. That we literally are allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has entered before us, that we can be made righteous. Now, when I consider these precious promises, we come back to the book of Hebrews. In the ninth chapter, after he has said, look, this is my new covenant. I'm going to put my laws in their minds I'm going to write them on their hearts he says I will then forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more because now they're not continuing to walk in sin now they're not walking in wickedness because 
They have entered into the divine nature by the promises of God, and they are standing firm on those wonderful promises that they will be made righteous. Now, in chapter 9, he begins to talk about the earthly sanctuary. Now, please, when the writer of the book of Hebrews said, look, I don't want to talk about the inconsequential stuff anymore. I want to go on to maturity. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But you still need to be taught. But I'm going to go now to the mature issues of the New Testament. I'm going to go to the mature issues of walking out the life in Jesus Christ, being transformed from a wicked person into a righteous person. And what does he begin to talk about then and, and dive into in great detail and depth? The priesthood of Jesus Christ. The recognition that he must be our high priest and without him we cannot be saved. He does not dive into some astrotic doctrine. He does not dive into some intellectual pursuit of righteousness no he turns directly to jesus christ and he says now listen to me there was an earthly sanctuary where a priest ministered he was a after aaron he was a levite we have a priest that was not a levite from the tribe of judah he was the eternal son of the living god and then he walks through this whole sanctuary on the earth that was built after a pattern Moses saw in the heavenly realm. He describes it in chapter 9. And then he says, once a year, once a year, the high priest entered the inner room, that is the most holy place, to carry out his ministry. Only the high priest could enter that area and only once a year, and never without blood. And there he offered for himself, for the priest, a sacrifice, offering the blood, and then for the sins of the people that they had committed in their ignorance and in their ungodliness. By this, the Holy Spirit was showing the way into the most holy place, And it had not been disclosed yet to the people of the Old Covenant. They were not allowed to enter. But because Jesus has gone into that most holy compartment, and there he has offered his precious blood on that mercy seat, all of us are now welcome. We have an anchor into that most holy place. We now can enter by the blood of Jesus. Let me read it for you. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Now I'm going to read to you from Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 11. 
when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation, not of this world. Jesus, as high priest, did not go into a man-made tabernacle with the blood of a a goat or a, a bull or a calf. He entered the most holy place in the heavenly realm in and he did this offering his blood for our redemption verse 14 how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ makes us holy. It cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. So that we may serve the living God. When Jesus entered into that most holy compartment in the heavenly realm, Jesus himself was and is the atonement. The atonement is not something Jesus did. It is something he is. He offered himself as the atonement for you and for me. Now, in verse 15, for this reason, what reason? because he went in and offered himself unblemished in the heavenly realm as the atonement. Having died on Calvary on earth, he arose from that grave, he went into the heavenly realm, and there he brought his blood to offer in that heavenly sanctuary, in the most holy compartment. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. What is a mediator? One who stands between the parties. Jesus came and in the most holy place of the heavenly realm, he stood between Almighty God and you as the sinner person. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Why did Jesus die? To destroy the works of the devil? Yes. But to set you free from all of the sins that you have committed, that you would no longer commit those sins. Now he begins to talk about a will and he describes how a man who makes a will 
must die before that will is put into effect. But after he has died, the will is applied. And in verse 23 of chapter 9, this is Hebrews 9, verse 23. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in god's presence nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. Some churches believe that Christ must offer himself over and over. They call it the Mass. That runs directly counter to the word of the living God. Jesus is not offered time after time he offered himself once and for all. It says in verse 26, this is Hebrews nine twenty-six. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. In the writers of the New Testament, they understood that the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ ended the age. He appeared at the end of that age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. My brother, my sister, may I speak gently to you? If you insist that you cannot walk in perfect love with God, if you insist that you can never be free of your sins until you die, if you insist that you will always be a sinner, then you deny what Jesus Christ said that he meant to do by dying on the cross. And you are then saying that the death of Jesus Christ was ineffectual, not adequate. And if you say that you must continue to walk in sin until you die, you are then saying that death is your Savior, not Jesus Christ. Is your death your Savior? Death is not my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I plead with you to consider carefully the words of Scripture. I'm going to read for you scriptures that are going to startle you if you still believe that you have a right 
and that you must continue to walk in your sin because if you believe this, you are denying the power of the blood of Jesus. Let me read it for you. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The reason Jesus died on Calvary's tree was to remove your sin at the present time, now. Now is the hour. Today is the day of salvation. Confess your sin. Claim the precious promises of God and begin to experience the glory of the divine nature being made righteous. But let me go on reading because he becomes even more clear. Verse 28, this is Hebrews nine twenty-eight. So Christ, so Messiah, that's what Christ means, Messiah. It was Jesus. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That's the NIV translation. Let me tell you what the Greek word actually means. The Greek word for take away literally means to lift up off of. So if I have my cell phone sitting on my desk... you would say, Pastor, your cell phone is on your desk. If I pick that telephone up and I hold it in my hand, where is the cell phone now? Is it on the desk? No, it's been picked up off the desk. It has been removed from the desk. It has been taken up. Well, where is that? telephone now well it's in my hand it's not on the desk anymore when it says Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people it is saying Jesus was sacrificed for the purpose that he could come and pick the sin up off of your life And he then forgives you for that sin, and he casts that sin into the depths of the sea, and he no longer remembers it. It is gone. He forgives you. Again, the word in Scripture for forgive is aphemi in the Greek, and it too means to remove from. If your sins are forgiven, they have been removed. Now, if you get down on your knees at night and you say, Jesus, please forgive me for lying today. And then you say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And then you go back and lie again. 
it's obvious that that lying spirit has not been removed from you. Your lying spirit has not yet been taken away from you. You have not yet entered by the divine, by the promises of God into the divine nature. And so you will sin over and over and over. You will repent over and over and over. But it is an ineffectual repentance because to remit, to repent means to turn away from, to leave. Well, where do you leave the sin? You leave it in Jesus' hand as he lifts it up off of your life. But see, many of you are in love with your depression. You are in love with your anger. You are in love with your lying. You are in love with your entertainment with your sporting activities in the professional world where you can watch your football games and you can watch every kind of wicked thing that your heart desires. You're in love with that entertainment. And so if you're convicted briefly of the lie or of the bitterness or of the anger or of the fornication or of whatever you've been convicted of, and it is not removed from you, you have not yet repented. You have asked that the consequence of your sin be removed, but you have not allowed the divine nature of God to remove the sin itself. And so you have not been saved. To be saved means to be removed from you. The danger is taken away from you. If I am saved from a speeding car, or if I am saved from the waves in the ocean, or if I am saved from an aircraft falling from the sky because I have a parachute, the danger has been removed from me i am saved when peter was sinking in the water and he cried out to jesus and jesus reached out his hand and took the hand of peter and picked him up out of that water sozo he was saved the danger no longer existed it was removed it was picked up off of him you understand through the precious promises of Jesus because he made atonement for us because he is atonement for us because he entered into that heavenly sanctuary after being nailed to that cross on this earth and he brought his precious blood and applied it in the mercy seat in the real tabernacle of God because he offered his blood he now has the power to remove that sin from your life but you see if 
going back to our intro today. If you have no sense of your need of a high priest, you will not be concerned about the sin being removed from your life, and you will be content to say little childish prayers about, I repent, take away the consequence of my sin, and now I'm loved and I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. And you will have this little childish thing that Jesus is your secret, hidden, invisible friend, and you're good to go. And your conscience has never been awakened. You have no sense of your guilt. You think you can continue in that sexual sin. You think you can continue to walk in that bitterness and anger. You think you can continue to walk in that ambition and pride and hostility. You think you're fine and you're good to go because you said a little prayer that said, forgive me, and some preacher said to you, do you repent of your sins? Yes, okay, you're saved, you're in. You have been vaccinated against the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've been set on a course of fleshly self-improvement without any supernatural work of God to transform. You've, you've been set on a course where Jesus cannot come to you and circumcise your heart because you're unwilling to endure the crucifixion of the cross. If you have been properly instructed in the knowledge of God, when you come and offer yourself to Jesus Christ, he will take you into the wilderness and in the wilderness there will be a crucifixion that will take place. And in the wilderness you will learn to trust in the divine promises of God. And you will begin to grow in that divine nature. And you will no longer be walking in any known sin or rebellion against the Most High. You will be humbled before God. And you will not be brought out of that desert until you have been washed and cleansed and purified. And it may take some time to accomplish that. In fact, it will take some time. It is necessary that we grow up into Jesus so that he can use us in the work of the gospel. Now let me finish this passage. It, there's even more evidence of what I'm teaching you today. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. So Christ, Messiah, Jesus was sacrificed. Or I should say sacrificed himself because he is the atonement to take away the sins of many people to take away my sin, to take away your sin, to lift it up off your life, to remove it from you. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This word, to bear, 
means to separate from or apart from. It's saying that when Jesus comes a second time, at the time of the resurrection, he is not coming to separate you from your sin. Your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, you will be in character the same person. Either you have had the sin removed from your life and you're walking in victory in Jesus Christ, or when you die, there will be no sacrifice for sin left for you. It says, the second time he will not come to bear sin or to separate us from our sin. He is coming a second time to bring the fullness of salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now let's be clear. If you do not have a burning desire for a high priest, if you do not sense your need for Jesus to accomplish that work in your life, you will accept a cheap second-hand gospel that has no saving power. I cannot think of a worse nightmare than to awaken on the great day of judgment and say, surely, I am a Christian. Look at all that I did. I served on the board or the vestry. I led the building campaign. I visited the sick. I did this and I did that. And Jesus says to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You rebellious person who were never willing to submit in the precious promises for the removal of unrighteousness from your life. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. What sadder words could a person hear? If there is not by the miracle hand of God, a great awakening in the Christian church in America, there will be no sense of a need of a high priest. And the judgments of God will fall upon us. We are not successful because we have well-paid pastors and big, beautiful buildings. We are not saved because we hear praise and worship music. We are not saved because we do things for Jesus. We are saved. We are saved by the ministration of Jesus Christ with his blood to transform us into new creatures, to change us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Do you sense today your need for a high priest? Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. And now I'm going to invite you to call. If you would like to, I'd be happy to talk with you or pray with you. I also would like to invite you to come to a place where you will be stricken with arrows of the Holy Spirit and your eyes will be opened. Come and visit the National Prayer Chapel. We meet every Sunday at 12 noon. We begin with corporate prayer. You're welcome to come in and join the circle and pray with us. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Again, I invite you to come, no matter what the price or the distance, to come and get in the school of the Holy Spirit. Come to the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. We rent space from them. We are located at 148. Five one, Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, two two, one nine two. Now I also invite any of you who would like to contribute tithes and offerings that this broadcast could stay on the air. I can't tell you how grateful I am to each of you who has contributed and given to the work of the gospel on Pilgrim's Progress. You can make your check out to the National Prayer Chapel and you can send it to Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 Let me give you the address again for the National Prayer Chapel. The mailing address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also would like to invite you to go to our webpage, I apologize today we do not have a video because of technical difficulties. But let me give you our webpage where there will be a podcast that will be available of this message if you would like to hear it again. It is nationalprayerchapel.com National Prayer Chapel One word Dot com. In studio, we have time for one call. If someone would like me to pray with them, I'd be happy to pray with you. 
877-534-0780. Now part of what is so very difficult for us is to move away from the old covenant and into the new covenant. We're much more comfortable with laws and rules and regulations. Some even want to go back and observe Jewish rites and rituals. All of those were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The new covenant is not made up of laws and rules and regulations. The new covenant is Jesus actually coming and writing on our hearts the rules and laws of his kingdom, of bringing us through the crucifixion and into the resurrection. He does not leave us at the foot of the cross. He pulls us through the cross into the glorious journey that John Bunyan saw Pilgrim needing to take as he walked that narrow but straight path toward the celestial city. This is what we call at the prayer chapel the school of the Holy Spirit. It is not by legalism. It is not by legalism. It is by the way of the Holy Spirit as he deals with our hearts and brings us fully into the death of Jesus Christ and into the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not self-improvement. It is the supernatural work of God as he moves in our lives. And he says, don't touch that anymore. Don't say that again. He begins to give very specific direction regarding how we are to live and how we are to walk. And he does so in a still, small voice through the reading of the Scripture, through the moving of the Holy Spirit with our spirit. He begins to instruct us in the way of righteousness, not the way of the law, but the way of righteousness as the Holy Spirit takes charge of our hearts and our lives and we walk then in the promises of God with our, our emotions tethered to those promises so that we will not be moved, we will not be shifting back and forth, we will not be going back to our wicked ways, we will not be going back to our sin. We're standing on the promises that God will utterly make us holy, totally remove the wickedness from our hearts. Chapter 10, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. He says, For this reason it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law could never make a person perfect, but the blood of Jesus Christ can make you perfect. Perfect. 
And I love John Wesley's interpretation of perfection. It is complete love. Walking in the love of Jesus Christ. That to Wesley was perfection. There are many passages of Scripture that I could show you to support that. This is not a legalistic walk. This is a walk in Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. Now let me pray with you. Lord, each person who is listening to this broadcast was drawn by your Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, that you will move now in their hearts to soften them and to cause a great cry to arise from their spirit that they must have this wonderful high priest by the name of Jesus. I pray that each person will lay aside their culture, lay aside their entertainment, lay aside man-made religion, and come now to the high priest who ministers on their behalf in the heavenly sanctuary above, who ministers by his shed blood. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I pray it's been helpful to you in your walk with Jesus. I pray you will examine and search out what I've said to you for yourself in the book of Hebrews. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Christ. I pray for you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory